0: are nearing the end of this year already? For those of you that are my age and older, you have recognized that the older you get, the faster time goes. Because it seems like I just saw you in these clothes just the other day. You look spectacular tonight. And I love it when we have the whole family together and all the kids that are here. There's an energy that, uh, from from the pent-up excitement of everything that's about to take place... And I'm so glad that we can be together tonight on this Christmas Eve and celebrate the King. For the past couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity of talking about different attributes that Christmas provides for us, such as the Christmas hope that God gives to us, as we talked about last week and a couple of weeks ago, Christmas hope. And tonight, on this Christmas Eve, I think it's most appropriate that we talk about the Christmas peace, peace that God provides to us. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Scripture declares, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We know that Jesus entered into this world to bring us peace, and yet we live in a world where, though it is often pursued, It seems as if it's rarely found. In fact, during some research this week, I've discovered that over the last 5,500 years of recorded history, there have been over 14,500 wars. And of the 185 generations of humankind, there's only been 10 generations that would have experienced unbroken peace. And so we live in a world that is desperately hungering for something that so few have seen. And yet we recognize that Jesus Christ has come to bring peace to us. There's a story that I want to share with you and some of you may be familiar with it because it took place on Christmas Eve in 1914 during World War I in the country of Belgium. There was a battlefield there that was called Flanders and it stretched for miles and miles and trenches were dug on either side of this battlefield and on one side was the German army. On the other side was the British and French who were fighting together. Both of them had dug in deeply, and they were telling stories that the snipers on both sides were so good that if an individual lifted up their head that they could pick you off, and so people were very cautious during this particular time. Somewhere around Christmas Eve, something totally unexpected happened. The British soldiers began to peek up and look across that field and recognize that some of the German soldiers had begun to take little pine trees and decorated them and were lifting them up, kind of as a a symbol of the Christmas trees that they were putting up, and I believe that we have some pictures that were taken that indicate what happened there. When the British began to see the Germans lifting up some of the Christmas trees, they also saw that some of them were creating signs in the best of their English, and the signs came across as saying this. You no know fight, we no fight. The British quickly began to recognize, hey, I think they're trying to tell us something. So they made their own signs and began to lift those up and said, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Shortly thereafter, the German officers began to crawl out of the trenches. And when they saw that, the British and French officers crawled out. And they began to make their way across this no man's land. And they met in the middle. And they began to shake hands and they made a truce. And they said, until midnight on Christmas night, we will not shoot each other and we will declare a peace. When the British high command heard this, they were stationed about 27 miles behind, they became very angry and upset and they sent a message that said this to their, to their British officers. Fraternization with the enemy discourage, discourages initiative in commanders and destroys the offensive spirit in all the ranks. When the British officer got a hold of this, he chose to ignore it. Shortly thereafter, another message was sent that was saying, we believe that they may be trying to hatch a strategy to attack you when you get out. Again, when the officer received the message, he looked around him and he chose to ignore it. Shortly thereafter, troops began to pile out of their trenches and meeting in this place that was called No Man's Land, and the first thing that both sides did was gather the dead that they'd not been able to bury and take them to places where they could care for them. There's a story told by one of the observers there who said, what a sight this was. Little groups of Germans and British stretching the entire length of the front As they became closer and closer, they began to light matches so that they could see each other's faces. And they began to exchange little gifts with one another. One would have a piece of chocolate, another a piece of cake. There was some sauerkraut and tobacco and newspapers that were exchanged with each other. And somebody in the middle of all of that reported that somebody had an old leather soccer ball that they threw out into the middle. And the men began to kick that around. The reporter said, what a sight. Little groups of Germans and British that just a few moments ago were interested in taking each other's life, but now under a truce, enjoying time together on Christmas Eve in peace. What a wonderful story. To be honest, at midnight at Christmas, the peace was over and the war began again. It continued and it was a brutal war, but for that brief Moment at Christmas time, enemies became friends, and people got a taste of what it was to have a peace that Jesus longs to bring. I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you over these next few moments. Questions for you to contemplate on this Christmas Eve. The first question is this How is the peace level in your home? The second question is How is the peace level in your heart? How is the peace level in your home? I know that that's a very personal question because how the peace level in your home is directly related to the peace that you experience in your life. I would ask you, is there a sense of love and respect and appreciation that pervades your home? Or would your home be better described with words like bitterness and name calling, a lack of forgiveness, sarcastic cuts, or perhaps even uncomfortable silence and isolation. If your answer to that question is that your peace level in your home is not very high, then I would bet that there are some of you tonight that would give up any gift that may be under your tree or anything that you could think of just so that your family could experience peace, the kind of peace that Jesus longs to bring. I was thinking about some of the famous Christmas stories and Christmas movies and books that we like to see and read, and I realized that most of those Christmas stories have a common theme to them. And here's the theme. Most of the stories have a character in them that is just nasty and mean and for whatever reason has a lousy attitude toward everyone and everything. And then something happens. It's usually toward the end of the story and the character undergoes this Magnificent transformation. They become gentle and loving, and all of a sudden, the story ends in a great, peaceful way, and it's happily ever after. Now, I understand that we have some kids in the room tonight, so I would like to talk about some characters that maybe you're familiar with. There's a character by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge that looks something like this. He was described as a man who was a cold hearted miser. He was described as frozen in features and a bad attitude and stiff in the way that he walked. And he was just a man with a bad attitude that nobody seemed to enjoy. And he hated Christmas. There's another one that may be a little bit more familiar to some of you. What a face. The Grinch that stole Christmas. In fact, there's a song that goes along with it. It said, you're a mean one. Do you know your Bibles that well? In fact, at the end of the first verse, it said that they wouldn't touch him with a 39 and a half foot pole. What a rotten character. And then for those of you that are my age, when cartoons were somewhat simpler, we have the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then for those of you that love movies, there was this movie called Home Alone that had this man, old man Marley. He was rumored to be the South Bend Shovel Slayer. He was said to have murdered his whole family with that shovel. And so we look at these Christmas stories and we see these characters. And we know what happens because we've seen them. We know that in Ebenezer Scrooge, what happens? Who visits him? Three ghosts from Christmas past, present, and the future, and something happens within him as he begins to see what would happen in the future if he would just let peace in. And then there's the Grinch that stole Christmas and... We know that as he slithers down the mountain and he steals all the Christmas goodies from Whoville and he takes all of their toys and all of their presents and all of their ornaments and he climbs back up into his little lair thinking that when they all woke up the next morning that all he would hear was sadness and crying and yelling and that they would be upset and instead he gets up and he hears all the Who's in Whoville singing. And he begins to recognize that Christmas is wasn't about stuff at all but it was about everything to do with peace that entered into their heart and his heart exploded out of that little measuring thing that it had within him and he changes and we watch it and we cheer because they're changed they're new people and the scrooge buys a christmas goose for bob cratchit and he joins them for christmas dinner The Grinch comes off the mountain and he joins the Who's for dinner and he's an honored guest and he even gets to carve the roast beast because everything changes. There's peace. There's reconciliation. And just like the Christmas truce of 1914, there's something in our heart that says this is the way it's supposed to be. And tonight I would declare to you The only power in the world that's strong enough to change our hearts and bring us peace is the Prince of Peace. And his name is Jesus. Some of you would say, you know, you make it sound so easy, but you don't know the characters in my family. You don't know what it's like. And you're right, I don't. But I would like you to focus for just a moment on the character that is you. And think about... How peace affects you. How's the level of peace in your own heart? Because if you let Jesus Christ get a hold of your life and you submit to him and you trust in him, you're going to find change at the very deepest level of who you are because that's where Jesus does his best work, is on the inside of you. And then you begin to recognize That because of Jesus living within you, you become more patient. You're slower to anger. You're quicker to forgive. Genuinely interested in the well-being of other people. Even ahead of your own interests. And as that happens, your heart begins to be a force for peace in your family. There's a great Charlie Brown cartoon where Lucy comes to Charlie Brown at Christmas time. And she says, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. "'Tis the season of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Therefore, I suggest that we forget all of the differences and love one another.'" And Charlie Brown is pleasantly surprised at how kind Lucy is, and he says, "'That's wonderful, Lucy. I'm so glad you said that. But tell me, do we have to only love each other at this season of the year, or can't we do this every day?' To which she responded, "'What are you, a fanatic or something?' At this Christmas time, I want to encourage you to be a fanatic for peace in your family. So if you recognize that the peace level of your family is not where you would like it to be, then invite the Prince of Peace into your home, into your relationships, into your words, into your attitudes, and into your behavior. Because when he comes, he will change you from the inside out. And the second question, how is the peace level in your heart? There is a battle that is raging for peace in the minds and hearts of each of us because most of the people that we know in the world today are not at peace with themselves. There are things that they're constantly going through and working through and everything seems to rob them of their peace. There are things that even try to rob us of our peace. First, we constantly battle circumstances that are uncontrollable. I was... Watching yesterday as I drove into the mall to just run in really quickly and begin just to look at the faces of the people that I was coming in contact with, and honestly, so few of them had any peace at all. So many of them were facing situations where one lady proclaimed, everything I like is not in my size. Have any of you ever experienced that before? Situations that were completely out of her control, yet was robbing her of her peace, and each of us faced those times. It may be when you're stuck in traffic or your flight gets delayed, but we get so easily frustrated at situations we simply cannot control. Then we also battle with people who are unchangeable. Have you ever tried to change someone who wouldn't change? Have you ever tried to fix someone and they wouldn't cooperate with your personal improvement plan for their life? You know, we're always trying so hard to fix everybody around us, and we really need to concentrate on ourselves because none of us can change any of us. People frustrate us when they seem to be unchangeable. I've discovered I can't even change myself without the help of God. It takes Him to have the power to work in me. And then we battle problems that are unexplainable. This is not going to be a surprise to most of you, but sometimes life doesn't make sense. Sometimes there are things that take place that we simply cannot understand, and we have no way to explain them. And in those moments of time, we have a tendency to turn and say, why God? Why me? Or why now? Or why this? And we simply can't get past the fact that we don't have any peace because we cannot face what is unexplainable and we lose our peace of mind. And Christ has come at Christmas to create a ripple of peace through our hearts and through our minds. He came to win the battle once and for all over stress and anxiety and fear and worry. And so he has us highlight in our thinking one of his titles from Isaiah when he says, I am the prince of peace. Because God is saying this baby is going to be royalty. He's going to bring peace. And some of you may be thinking, if if when the angels declared that there would be peace on earth, goodwill to men, then why do we not see today around our world that peace that he said that he would bring? Why are we not seeing that? And I would ask you to examine more closely with me Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Because this is what it declares. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And within the context of the message, we quickly begin to realize that while there is coming a day when Jesus is going to come and bring peace on the earth, what he has provided for us right now is a personal peace. He's come to speak to each of us and offer us a gift. In fact, in John fourteen twenty seven, in the Living Bible version, it says this, I am leaving you with a gift Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus describes this peace tonight, this Christmas peace, as if it were a gift to be offered to each of us. And each of us know that it didn't take us very long from the time that we were children. When we were offered a gift, it didn't take us long to rip it open and take possession of it. And tonight, the gift of peace is being offered. Because peace is not something you work for, peace is not something you earn, it's not something you can deserve, it is simply a gift of God through Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we often recognize that we find that we are not living in peace or have some anxiety is the fact that at times it's difficult for us to fall asleep. Do you struggle to lay peacefully in bed because there's something or someone or an issue that is consuming your thoughts? There are times we all struggle to fall asleep at night, and to be fair, life in a fallen world is harsh and it's unpredictable. There are so many outside factors that make life difficult and provide reasons for restless sleep. But I am persuaded that in the midst of the trials that we often abandon our theology, we quit believing that God has the answers for life, and we try to take the reins, and then with the weight of the world now on our self-appointed shoulders, we struggle to get a good night's sleep because we know we simply are incapable of creating the peace that we so long for. And when you're facing harsh and unpredictable realities in life, in this fallen world, what should you do? I want to quickly give you four actions that you can take with you tonight. And I want you to know that these will not be one-time quick fixes, but as long as you're facing difficulties and you're finding peace hard to come by, as you apply them again and again, you will discover that God is at work First is accept the confusion. If you haven't realized it already, you have very little control over your life. You didn't choose where you would be born. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose how they would raise you. You didn't choose the color of your skin. You didn't choose the language that you would speak or you didn't choose the wealth of your family. The reality is, is that you have very, very little control in a huge universe. And then you add to that the sin and brokenness that you face at every turn, and life can get overwhelming. And if you believe the gospel, the false gospel of self-sovereignty and personal control, you will be kept awake when life doesn't go according to your plan. So the first step in falling asleep is to accept that you don't have much reason to sleep peacefully without Jesus. Jesus. Secondly, evict the imposters. When the waves of pain and difficulty come crashing down, you need to seek shelter. And sadly, so many people in our world today are seeking it in all the wrong places. Some of you, when you've been in pain, you picked up a bottle of alcohol or you picked up painkillers to physically numb your bodies. Others try to drown out the pain with television and food and others take a credit card and try to purchase items thinking that maybe with one more material item it will provide the comfort that my soul needs. And if you buy into the false gospel of earthbound treasures, you won't have many restful nights of sleep. So evict the imposters and invite the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, to commune with your soul once again. Thirdly, Pursue the disciplines. In the midst of trial, it becomes very tempting to abandon all of the spiritual disciplines that we have developed within our life. Your faith, your prayer, fasting, reading the scripture, attending worship services. The enemy in the middle of trial will try to rob you of the very things that he knows will become your strength and your anchor. When you abandon these disciplines, whether you do it intentionally or not, You're saying, I don't need God and I don't need His church. I can make it on my own. And that's never a good idea because your heart is corrupt. And you need to see yourself and your situation with accuracy. So if you believe the false gospel of self-sustainment, you will struggle to wake up each morning with energy. You were not created to live independently, even in a sinless world. Live with God, His Spirit, His Word, and let the believers join alongside of you and speak peace into your life. And lastly, trust the author. All of these actions, accept, evict, and pursue, make no sense unless one thing is true. God is the good and wise author of your story. Because God is the author of your story, you can accept confusion and find rest, knowing that everything in the universe is managed with complete and His specific authority. Because God is the author of all that is good, you can evict the imposters and find comfort in communion with him, even in the midst of a physical trial. Because God is the author of life, you can pursue the spiritual disciplines and find peace knowing that God has wisdom for your life that is far better than anything that you can pursue on your own. And you and I don't have to crumble when we don't understand, when we don't have to be paralyzed in fear because our plan for life is blown up in our face. We don't have to dread what the next day will bring because we can live with the peace that God gives because he's wise and he's loving and he's powerful. And he has moment by moment control over every detail of every life. So here's the spiritual reality. We need to understand that even in the light of the world that we live in, that sometimes we love the gift more than we love the giver of the gift. Sometimes we ask him to give us the peace without the response of a loving relationship with him. But I want you to know that if you tonight will accept the Prince of Peace, he offers to you a relationship and he will take you as you are, he will make his home in you, and the gifts he brings with him are the gifts of forgiveness and joy and hope and peace, and it will change you from the inside out that will change your family and that will change your life the first time he came he came as a tiny baby born to peasant parents in a filthy animal stable there was no fanfare no celebration but I declare to you tonight that he is coming again And when he returns the next time, he is coming back as the king of kings and the lord of lords. He will rule the world and peace will come to everyone and everything. And he will demonstrate to everyone who he really is. He is the light of the world. This week I read about a famous painting by the Dutch artist Rembrandt. It's called The Adoration of the Shepherds. I would like them to display it to you tonight. In this painting that was painted in 1646, it depicts his vision of what it was like for the shepherds to see the baby Jesus. The painting is dark because it's a night scene in what appears to be a barn. The dark tones force the viewer to study the images carefully. In the center is the baby in a feeding trough. Mary is by his side, Joseph not far away, The shepherds are gathered around intently studying the baby whose birth was announced by the angelic choir. And if you look into the gloom, you can see a rickety ladder that's leaning through the beams and next to it is a rooster. It indicates to us that even at Jesus' birth, you can see the outline of the cross and the betrayal that he would live under. And then... Rembrandt didn't paint Jesus an, as an angel with a halo as so many of his contemporaries did but he painted him differently because he recognized that Jesus is not one on whom the light shines but the light shines from Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world even from his birth and tonight we declare to every one of us we can have silent night restful sleep because the light of the world has come.